0: Thank you. Yeah, y'all can have a seat. All right, so we clearly have a lot to get through tonight. Uh, If uh, if I don't know you or if you're new here, I see a lot of new faces. Uh, My name's Keel. I've been on staff here part-time for a few months, um, and I'm a ninth and tenth grade small group leader. Um, This is my second year here. Shout out to all my boys. Um, I got a few announcements for us before we start. Um, yeah, appreciate that. Um, got a few announcements for us. So next week we have regular youth. Um, same time, same place, just like tonight. Um, and then the next uh, Sunday, December 17th, we have our Christmas party. All right? So I need you all decked out, your sweaters, everything. We've got a lot of fun stuff planned. Should be a good time. Um, um, also, yeah, ne- next Sunday, is it's a regular youth, but it's Advent youth. So we're, we're getting into the Christmas season, so we're excited about that. Um, and then the next thing I have is Imago Day. Um, how many of y'all went on Amaga Day last year? Yeah, all right, a solid a solid group. I see a lot of people who have a chance to go for the first time this year. Um, so it's going to be January 26th to 27th, um, so coming up fairly soon. Registration's open, um, and so Amago Day is here. It's a local retreat. We don't go anywhere. We hang out here at the church. We stay um, in, in home, families' homes, and it's a great time to just fellowship. It's a very restful retreat, honestly. like I know a lot of retreats in the middle of the year can be very exhausting when you come back. And your week kind of ruins, <laughs> um, But this retreat is very restful. We kind of hang out and um, we do some service projects. We um, have services just like this in the same room. Um, and so we're going to be looking at Amago Dei, which means the image of God. Um, so looking at Genesis um, and, and creation and seeing that we're all made in the image of God. What does that mean for us? What does it mean for the world? What Does it mean for our lives? Um, so yeah, registrations is open. Um, you can ask me or ask Sam or any of your small group leaders if you have any questions. Um, we really want to see you there. Um, and every Sunday uh, before we start, we always pray um, for Lauren Worley, um, who's a missionary over in Thailand. Um, we've been praying for her for years, um, and she's doing some very important work um, laboring in, in Thailand that's less than a percent Christian. Um, and so it's pretty hard, um, and our, our church um, wants likes to support her um, in prayer, and um, so we want to just continue to pray for that. Pray that the gospel is is preached internationally, um, not just here Marietta, but it's it's a global, international, universal gospel, um, and the kingdom of God is not here in America, but everywhere. Um, and so we're going to pray for that and also pray for the Tevarino family um, just continually um, every week. And so let, let's pray together before we start. Father, we thank you for your church, and we thank you for your word, um, and for your people. And um, I thank you that we get to enjoy all those things here tonight. Um, Lord, I pray for Lauren Worley, um, that you just continue to... Give her strength and rest and refreshment um, while she's home, and then as she goes back to Thailand to continue to just fight the good fight. we um, give her peace and joy and strength and endurance to continue to preach your word, to do the faithful work of discipleship and ministry um, that's hard. Um, we're, our, we're surrounded by people who think like us a lot, um, but we are reminded often that not all of the world um, knows you. And so I pray that that is urgent on our hearts, and we can continue to pray for Lauren um, and her efforts to, to spread your gospel. Um, we pray for the Taverino family, um, Lord, for Beth and Scott and, and Luke and Brennan. As the holidays come around, Lord, we just continue to mourn the loss of Liv. Um, Lord, it's, it's, it's still hard. It's still real. And I pray you just give us comfort. Give them comfort. Um, and you just be very, very real and very, very close to us during all this. Pray that we are not scared to bring things to you, um, to, to yell at you or to confide in you or to cry with you. Um, and you're a God who sympathizes with us in everything. Um, Lord, we love you. I pray that you give us comfort and peace. Um, and teach us what you desire to teach us through your word in Obadiah. So, your we pray. Amen. So it's been a few weeks, been about three weeks since um, we've read Obadiah, and it's been an interesting, interesting book for sure. So I just kind of want to, like, recap us and get us kind of realigned um, to remember what we've read so far. Um, so I'm just going to kind of give a brief recap on what Sam has led us through verses 1 through 9 the first week and then 10 through 14 a few weeks ago. So the first 1 through 9, right, we saw that God brings a sharp word of judgment to, to, to Edom through Obadiah. Remember Sam used the illustration of those, like, disgusting little tools they use at the dentist to just scrape the stuff off your teeth? I'm going to the dentist tomorrow, um, and I'm dreading it. Um, and so that that kind of, that that sharp word that kind of scrapes is, is what God's doing here to Edom. He's, Edom has been rejected, their brother nation Israel, right? We saw the, the lineage, they all come. Um, from from Abraham they're kind of these brother nations and Israel's being attacked by countries all over but Edom instead of supporting them is laughing at them, gloating in their downfall even helping their enemies and so we see God come and bring a sharp word to Edom. Um, God exposes Edom's pride by removing the things they found safety in, by removing the safety in their other neighboring countries who have bigger armies Um, and God's exposing Edom for for the that's in their heart And then in 10 through 14, we see that Edom is receiving God's judgment for passively observing Israel's downfall, right? Just watching everything happen, not doing anything, but also for actively helping in Israel's downfall later when they assist the other nations. Um, And then we finally were able to rest in the fact that our judgment has been taken finally upon the cross. The judgment that we receive, because we're a little bit more like Edom than we like to think, it's been taken on the cross. Therefore, we can love our neighbors and love our enemies unlike Edom. Um, so it brings us to these. We're in verse 15, and it's it's kind of the turning point, and we'll see why in verse 15. Um, and I'm just going to start with point one. I have three points. Point one takes significantly longer, so don't when I go from point one, to point two. Don't don't think we're going to sit here for an hour. Um, point one is because God is just; He will wrong every rights and give justice to every injustice. And that's what we see here in verse 15 and 18. We see He says, "I'll read." For the day of the Lord is near upon all nations. For the day of the Lord. And we see this term, the day. It's mentioned eight times throughout verses 8 through 14. We have the day of his misfortune, the day of their ruin, the day of distress, the day of their calamity. These things over and over. The day is a bad thing. The day is something coming that is, is bad and scary. But it's only happening to Edom. The day of, of their misfortune, their distress, their calamity, because of what they, they've done, they're going to receive... Some bad things on their day. That's coming and promising the Lord. But in verse 15, we see the turning point that the day of the Lord is near upon all nations. This is the, the big turning point. It's what we see what Obadiah is really about. The day here means something a little different. All of the days of Judah's suffering that Edom has mocked and joined in and helped with will be met with a final judgment and redemption on this day of the Lord. This final day of the Lord. But not only Edom, we see now all nations. So what do we do with that? So far, Edom has been the, the main villain of the story, right? The only, the, the person we're focusing on, the country who's been doing the bad things, is bad, and Judah and Israel, they're the victims. But now the narrative, this story, it, it widens its scope to all injustices, all wrongdoings, and all nations. It gets a lot bigger than just Edom and Judah. The other part of, of verse 15 says, As you have done, right? As everyone, all nations have done, it shall be done to you, your deed shall return on your head. Not just talking about Edom, but now all nations, everyone. It's God's measured and just judgment given to the guilty, repaying what they deserve equally, right? It's fair. It's just. It's good. But now, when we we think about Edom and them getting the judgment, or maybe think about your enemy or someone who's been mocking you or making fun of you or hurting you, that judgment, that day of the Lord, is a good thing. But now with it going to all nations, not just Edom or your enemy, but now everyone, how does that make you feel? Are you confident, are we confident, that we are completely innocent of the things that Edom is guilty of? Are we confident that we are completely innocent of pride, of self-preservation, of favoritism, of not loving our neighbor as we ought to or called to, of, of gossip, of rebelling against the Lord, rebellion against our parents, rebelling against our friends? Are we completely innocent of the very things that Edom is being charged with? And the answer is probably not. And if you do feel completely innocent, then maybe we need to take a closer look at our hearts. And this is what the Apostle Paul is getting at in Romans 2, I think it helps make this passage make a lot more sense. And these words, they cut deep. And so Romans 2, 1 through 10, Paul writes, Therefore you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges, which is everyone, for in passing judgment on one another you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man... You who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself that you will escape the judgment of God. Or do, you presume, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed that same day. He will render to each one according to his works, To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace among everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. It's the same message. Every nation, every person is subjected to God's righteous and perfect judgment that's coming on the final day of the Lord. We're not innocent like we think we are, right? We're more broken than we thought, and we're more sinful and judgmental than we like to admit. So we say every Sunday and Sunday mornings and here. So before we jump to look down and judge Edom, maybe we need to let the Word of God pierce our own hearts, pierce my heart, pierce your hearts, and expose our sin. And this is a hard truth. This is what the writer of Hebrews says when he says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I'm not saying you're as bad as Edom. I'm not saying that you're destroying a nation or that you're completely evil, but we're not completely innocent. There's sin in our hearts. So I played football when I was from sixth to 10th grade, because um, you, you can tell I was very aggressively average, um, is what I like to say. Um, but since I played football, it means I was in advanced weight training. I know you can tell, it's still paying off. Um, every morning, if you were going to Marietta, advanced weight training, at least when I was there, I don't know if it still is, it was every other morning on first block, first period, first thing in the morning. Um, I did not enjoy this. Um, I did not love being yelled at during intense workouts the first thing in the morning, and if you do, more power to you. Um, So safe to say I didn't perfectly follow the rules every time. Sometimes if Coach G, Coach Grunemeyer, if y'all know Coach G, was on the other side of the weight room, uh, my partner and I would kind of just like take a breather and cheat on our sets a little bit. Mm -hmm. I know, I know. Um, But when Coach G would walk our way, like you know the walk he has? Um, If you don't, it's it's kind of an intimidating fast walk. You would have thought i was training for the olympics i was slinging weight and i was like i was getting depth on my squats i was getting good form everything um because look i love coach g he's a great man he was at our wedding he's good friends with ellie's family um, he's a, he's an awesome man but if you know coach g, he's a little intimidating um, he can be a little harsh in a good way um, and so i didn't give all of my effort but when i knew he was looking i did and i was Pretty much only trying because I was scared of getting embarrassed or yelled at by Coach G. But this is not how I want you to feel about God. It's not how your leaders want you to feel about God. And this is not what the book Obadiah is teaching you to feel about God. It's not teaching you to get your act together so that when God walks down across the weight room, right, that you start doing well and you're scared that you're not doing enough so you're going to get judgment. You're going to get it's not a fear-based thing. Obadiah is not trying to scare you. And God is not saying all of this to Obadiah to scare you. We didn't decide to do the series of book, um, the book of Obadiah to scare you. It's not how it works. We're not scared in the faith in Jesus or in God. Remember what we just read in Romans 2 verse 4. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Not a trembling fear of judgment, but kindness. A fear of God that means... Honor and respect, not a fear of God. That means scared that he's going to do wrong to you. So where is God's kindness here in the book of Obadiah? God's kindness is found in these verses when we realize that in Christ, although we are broken, despite our sin, despite our rebellion, although we sometimes act a lot like Edom, we are fully forgiven and saved from the judgment that's promised on the day of the Lord. We might act like Edom, but in Christ we are part of Judah. We might act like Edom and hating our enemies and not loving our enemies and our neighbors as we like to, but in Christ we're actually Israel in the story. That's why we can read the Book of Obadiah and not view it as a a, a warning of this impending doom or cloud that's hovering over your heads, trying to get you in order. But the good news is that God will right every wrong and fulfill every promise because he is a just god. But he is a just god that is for you and that is on your side. He has always been for you and always will be for you. And that's the promise here. He's a god of of holy justice. What kind of judge or god would he be if he if he didn't honor sin the way that it deserves to be honored? If he didn't punish sin, if he let it slide, If he saw all the wrongdoings and said that there was nothing wrong with it, what kind of God would that be? But he is a God of justice. He will always punish sin because it's in his nature to do so. But because of the work of Jesus on the cross, like we see every single week in every single verse, our sin and our punishment is already paid for. It's already satisfied. So now we can look at the day of the Lord promised in verse 15. We can look at it with anticipation, not with dread and fear. Because we know that the promise of the day of the Lord is not that we are going to be judged according to our sin, but we're going to be judged according to what Christ has done for us. And it's a promise now that every injustice will be corrected and every pain will be healed and every wrong will be righted. That's what the day of the Lord means here in verse 15. It's a huge turning point in the story. When we jump to verse 17, we read, But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy. This is where we dwell as children of God in Mount Zion. We shall escape this judgment because of what Jesus accomplished for us. This is not a threat of you better do this or you better blank so that you don't get this. But it's a promise of Jesus did that for you and Jesus will accomplish what he promised. You are secured in Jesus by faith if you believe in him. So therefore we escape this coming judgment in the day of the Lord and we will dwell in feast in Mount Zion. That's the promise here in verse 17. And it's, it's something to praise. It's praise the Lord that He is a God of justice, a God who does not turn His back on wrongdoing, but repays everything as it has been done. And praise the Lord that our judgments is not included in the day of the Lord because it's already taken care of on the cross. But this, this verse, Mount Zion you know where else Mount Zion is mentioned in the Bible? Are you all familiar with that term? Maybe if you're a Bible study this morning, I think Sam touched on it. But Mount Zion is mentioned at the end of the story, where all the promises are revealed in Revelation. Revelation 14, verses 1 through 4, we see what this really means. This is the vision in Revelation. And then I looked, and behold, I'm Mount Zion to the Lamb. And with him, 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders, no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women for their versions. It is these who follow the lamb wherever he goes these have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. In Mount Zion, sadness and lies are untrue. The people who have been redeemed are not seen for the sins that they committed, but instead for the Lamb that stands in their place. Mount Zion is a a place of of solitude, of rest, of worship, of rejoicing with the Lamb and all of the people who have been redeemed. And, And There's a lot of different views on what this 144,000 might mean, um, but to simply put it, it, it's a a figurative representation of of all the people who are redeemed in Christ. It means if if you are in Christ, if you have faith in Christ and you are his child, his son or his daughter, then you will be in Mount Zion. You are represented in that figurative number. It's not just 144,000 people that are in heaven. Just get that clear notice the language of firstfruits. Firstfruits, God, people who God cherishes and loves. Firstfruits whom God loves enough to send his son to save them from judgment, but also to redeem them to eternal life and joy. You escape judgment in Mount Zion, but also enjoy life there as well. That brings us to our, our second point, and we'll get through these quickly. Because God is good, and God is love, you will restore everything that has been broken. After verse 18, when when you notice when Josie was reading, there's these three verses, 19 through 21, that got tagged on that are kind of goofy, and I'm sorry Josie had to read those. Um, They kind of seem out of place, right? They're they're talking about something different. The first 18 verses is a sharp word of the Lord, judging Edom for mocking and harming their brother nation Judah, and and about the day of the Lord coming on judgment, Mount Zion. But then the last verses talk about on Esau and Samaria and Ephraim and Gilead and, and all these places. And it, it's like, why are these places here? What is this talking about? This kind of seems, seems odd. And without getting way too complex and way too confusing, this promise here about the people possessing these different lands this promise is a promise to Israel that they will not only receive back what was stolen from them by Judah and their nations, but God will also give them everything that was promised to Abraham. They will get back what was stolen but they're also getting everything that was promised to Abraham. They're being restored, not just saved, but restored and renewed and redeemed to something more than they had before. It's a promise not only of salvation, but also of redemption and restoration. And our final point point three is, in Jesus our wrongs are forgiven and what we have broken is restored. I want to close the illustration that that Sam used about a year ago or something. I haven't really been able to shake it Um, it's a, there's this art form that's believed to be created in like the 15th century um, Japan called Kintsugi. Um, it was created by a man, forgive me, uh, Ashiga Yoshimasa. Um, sorry. Um, had a, he, he had this teacup that he really, really loved, and it broke. And so he sent it to go get fixed. And then he got something back that had, it was not the original teacup, but it was something much more beautiful and different than he could have imagined. He broke it into pieces, obviously, so because there were cracks and blemishes in this cup, it couldn't be fixed perfectly. So the the potter used these metal scraps and and eventually gold to to fill the cracks, you can see. This is an example of Kintsugi. And it's an art form that has endured all these hundreds of years, and it was created because of a broken teacup. But it continues to be something that, that I think preaches a lot to us. I think it's a beautiful picture of our hope and reality that we are broken and sinful. There's no denying this. There's, there's cracks. We're broken. We're like Judah. We are victims of injustice. We're victims of suffering and the crushing and painful effects of sin in this world. Things happen to us that, that aren't fair. We are, we are like Judah in the story. We do have people and things in our life like Edom that are inflicting injustice and pain and hardship on us. But we're also like Edom and like the enemies. Like we saw when we went through Jonah earlier this semester, we're a lot more broken and perfect. We're a lot more like the villain of the story than we like to admit sometimes. We're not innocent of the crimes that Edom has committed. We deserve the judgments of God that is promised in Obadiah. What this teaches us is that we need a savior. We are a broken teacup, so to say, that has been shattered Because of the sin around us, but mainly the sin inside of us. But in the grace and mercy and love of God, we have a Savior who came and died on a cross to save us from the judgment that we deserve. But not only to save us, not only to escape the judgment, but to put us back together and make us whole again as something more beautiful than we were before. It's a promise to save us, but to restore us. A promise to save the world, but restore the world. So, why did we spend three weeks going through this really weird, short, odd, hard to understand book of Obadiah? Um, I know Sam and I sometimes ask ourselves that question. You Mm -hmm. might ask yourself that question as well. Mm -hmm. Only for two reasons because it's in the Bible, and we know that everything in the Bible is, is the Word of God and profitable to teach and correct. Um, but mainly, number two, because it shows our need for Jesus. The book of Obadiah shows us the promise of God to be the Savior we need because of the judgment we deserve. But the book of Obadiah also shows us the promise of God that is the hope that all will be redeemed better than it was before in Christ Jesus on the day of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus we thank you for your word we thank you for the way that it is harsh and sharp but we thank you for the ways that it is all the more comforting and life giving um, we thank you for being a God who loves us enough to show us our weakness a God who is just and holy who will not let sin go unpunished Lord that includes the sin in our hearts but it also includes the sin of this world Lord death and, 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 and suffering and And pain that this world inflicts on us will be made new but we thank you that you are a loving God who does not only judge but also sends his son to forgive I pray that we can continue to put our faith in Jesus every day with gratitude that we are not like Edom who has this impending doom of judgment coming on them but we can look forward to the judgment with hope because you are for us And we have Christ on our side. Lord, I pray that we can worship you now. We can worship you this week. Pray for small groups that we can continue to unpack the word in ways that I was not able to. um, In ways that that you choose to. Um, Yeah, Lord, we love you and trust you. And we worship you always. In your name we pray. Amen.